say this, it's truly an honor to serve the Lord in this capacity, you know, bringing His Word and also, I mean, being involved in the lives of um, one another. I think all of you um, would agree with me, right, that it's a privilege to serve the Lord in whatever capacity that you do, whether it's music, uh, whether it's ushering or even just doing the back-end uh, sound crew production. So all this is important and I know that uh, my treasure is in heaven. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a nice house there. All right, but anyway, um, yes, today is uh, Youth Sunday and uh, I see myself on the screen. Okay, I mean, this, this is totally new to me. All right, so today I've titled my sermon, The Secrets of a Winner. The Secrets of a Winner. How many of you like winners? How many of you like winning? Give me a raise. Right, we all like to win. And I mean, I'm also quite a, a sports enthusiast, not the typical guy kind of sports enthusiast where I watch football as often and basketball. But I do watch tennis. Uh, I fell in love with tennis in 2006 when I was, uh, yeah, secondary two. And uh, yeah, so I support players uh, that I, I think are great and I really enjoy when they win. You know, um, I'm, a, I'm a Federer fan. Um, those of you who follow tennis, and uh, he's into the fourth round of Wimbledon. Yeah, so anyway, uh, in case you're interested. But anyway, my, my, my main point is we all like winners, right? And we all like to win. So I'm just following up um, in the book of Second Samuel from uh, last week's sermon. Uh, last two weeks, actually, we, we read on the life of David. He defeated Goliath. And last week, we found out that his predecessor, King Saul, has just died. And so, um, if you're familiar with the Bible, we know that David was destined to be the second king of the kingdom of Israel, right? So, that's where we pick up today. And so, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10 is the key verse in, uh, to me uh, in this passage that we've read. And it says this, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. The Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And David became greater and greater. Now, if I was just to focus on this verse alone and preach a half an hour sermon um, and say, you know, oh, we are all destined for greatness. Hooray! Great job as Christians. It's an amazing journey. I think I'm cutting you short uh, of, you know, of basically the Christian faith. I'm oversimplifying things, but, but, but believe me, okay, there's no doubt that I truly, truly receive and accept this verse for myself, and I pray this over you guys also. But to better appreciate it, let's go through um, a few things um, to understand this verse better. All right, so King David, right, back to the context of, of King David's life, um, before he became anointed king, he had to suffer and survive through several years of challenges, several years of challenges, okay? And... Um, just reading the Bible itself, um, uh, a lot of interesting drama would happen. So I, I don't have time to share with you guys. All right, so go home and read the book of First Samuel all the way down to Second Samuel chapter five, and you will see that David did not have a very smooth time. In fact, you if you are familiar with period dramas, this would excite you. I hope somebody has made this into a a series already because there's so much uh, interesting going on. But anyway, today I want to share with you three secrets. Three secrets how David became a winner. What got him there? Are you all with me today? Yeah, all right. So secret number one. Secret number one. David 
found strength in God's promises. Secret number one of a winner, find strength in God's promises. Now we might think that after the death of the first king of Israel, King Saul, and David was destined to be the second king, you thought that the transition would be very smooth, right? Huh, you're wrong. Because in between, okay, last week's sermon and today's sermon, I, I did a quick read-up in just a span of three and a half chapters. Okay, I'll just share with you a summary. Civil war broke out. Okay, it wasn't a smooth transition. It's not like King Saul dies, suddenly everybody says, all hail King David. That's not what happened. In fact, David wasn't exactly, in inverted commas, the second king of the kingdom of Israel. Okay, fun fact. In fact, after Saul died, the transition went to one of his sons. Huh? Some of you are surprised already. His name was Ish-Boshesh. Okay, I did a read up. And in between, there was war, there was disagreements, there was uh, betrayal that went on. And, and basically, everything you want to see in a typical um, Kingdom Wars kind of drama, okay? like those ancient China dramas. So the transition was not smooth. Was not smooth. We go to the verse... 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 14, and we know today that King David became king at the age of 30. At the age of 30, okay? Uh, so we see in, yeah, King David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. And uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3, he became king. So they anointed King David over Israel. So finally, the end came, right? But let me take you back 15 years. 15 years ago, in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 3, this was the very first instance where everybody was introduced to King David's anointing as the second king of Israel. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This incident occurred approximately 15 years before David actually became king. So basically, David was a teenager at the age of 15. So if you do the math, 15 years from anointing of first anointing to finally becoming king, it was a long time. It was a long time coming. Some of us are not even 30 years old. Some of you know, I'm, I'm not even 30 years old. I won't tell you my real age. Actually, I will. I'm, I'm 29 this year. So, you know, some of us haven't even survived this long and we already want to give up. We've been discouraged several times in our lives. We've wanted to throw in the towel time and time again. And, and can I just assure you that it's very natural. It's very human to feel that way. So no condemnation here. All right, but I'm just sharing with you that David had to wait 15 years. And in those 15 years, it wasn't a bed of roses. And even if it was a bed of roses, roses have thorns. So 15 years, what happened? David was successful, but in the midst of his success, he became a fugitive of the most powerful man, of the king, of King Saul. Okay, King Saul wanted him dead. He was hunted. He was chased by the armies of the most powerful guy in the land. He was the object of jealousy for no particular reason at all, just because he was good. All right? He lived in fear for his life. Okay? And he was, probably went through a lot of disappointment. He probably had to question God a lot, had real conversations with God and the people around him. He had to change uh, cities. He had to change his dwelling places. He had to hide his family. So go and read all that in 1 Samuel. It's super interesting. But 15 years as a young man, as a teenager, that's quite a lot to go through, right? That's quite a lot to go through. But today I want to share with you a few thoughts on my own. The first punchline I would give you is this is this. It says, 
negative experiences does not equate to a negative God. Negative experiences does not equate to a negative God. Next punchline I'll give you is negative experiences does not equate to an absent God. It does not equate to an absent God. And lastly, I would say to you, God was with David no matter the circumstance. God was with David no matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter whether David was being pursued by King Saul and his armies. It didn't matter whether David was being betrayed. It didn't matter whether David was going through a tough time. We see throughout the Word of God that David had God with him. And fun fact for some of us, sometimes when God is with you, do you realize that you become so successful? And I'll give, I have a verse for that to, to support it. You become so successful that you become the object of jealousy. In fact, sometimes success does not always mean it's, it's a good thing. Okay, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14 and 15, we see that David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. So when the Lord is with you, you will have success. Amen? Right? But unfortunately, at times, people will take offense at that. And King Saul, he had everything in the world he wanted. He saw that David had great success and guess what happened? He had fearful awe of him. And if you read down the, the, the book of Samuel, you will find out that the, this fear turned into anger, turned into jealousy, and it sounds like a Star Wars quote for those who are familiar. Why you never laugh? Yesterday you laugh. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Sometimes you're so blessed that people get jealous of you. All right? that people get jealous of you. So the question here we have is how did David survive? How did David press on? And so let's find out where his head was at. Let's find out where his head was at. All right, let's go into some of the songs that David wrote. For those of you who are songwriters, okay, I, I don't know if there are any here, but I am, I just don't share the songs with people. You know, it is a fully emotional and immersive experience. When you write songs as a songwriter, you pour out your heart and soul into your lyrics. All right? And so when you see the lyrics of a songwriter, you kind of know where their head is at. So let's take a look at two of the Psalms David wrote when he was being pursued by King David. He was living uh, in, in fear for his life. So in Psalm 57, verse 1 to 3, we see this, be merciful, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills His promise for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples upon me, Selah. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. The next psalm, Psalm 59, we see this. Each evening they came back, howling like dogs and prowling around the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. Some of us growl when we do not get our fill. <laughs> After this, you will have lunch. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you for you, oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. From these two Psalms and many others you can go and read, we see that David was going through a period of lament. He was afraid. He was worried. He was crying out to God. But can we see also that in that moment when he writes that song, his eyes, where were his eyes? His eyes were always fixated 
on God. His gaze always looked upon God and His faithfulness. I would say to you that if not for his eyes being focused on God in, under these circumstances, and, and I think we can all agree that his circumstance is probably worse off than any of us would have ever experienced. Running around the, the wilderness, being chased by a king. Okay, if not for his eyes focused on God, I don't think he would have made it. I don't think he would have made the finish line. Right? It's quite human, though. Don't feel as if, you know, it's quite human nature to feel... Uh, afraid and look around in the waves and start to get discouraged and disappointed. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, you know, sometimes the, the worries and the situation that we see ourselves in, they look like storms coming against us. But can I remind you that in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus spoke this to it, and this was the instance, all right, when uh, the, the famous uh, story where Jesus and his disciples were crossing the, uh, the sea, and there was a great storm, and the disciples started to fear for their lives, they, and, and Jesus was sleeping in the boat. So this was that instance. And, and why Jesus woke up, when they woke him up, and why Jesus calmed the storm, and Jesus told them, why don't you have any faith? It is because of this, because before they set sail, Jesus told them that let us go across to the other side. Let us go across to the other side. So basically what he's saying is this, I told you that we are getting across to the other side. Why are you afraid? Why do you think we're going to sink? And some of us, you know, when you are faced with storms, when you're faced with troubles, disappointments, struggles, whatever you have, things that you don't find, that you, you find yourself in a rut, do you remember that Jesus told you that you are going to get across to the other side? Do you find the strength in the promise that comes from God and His Word? My challenge to you today is to find promises for yourself to hold on to. I, I, don't, I won't stand here to try to blanket statement and, and assume what you're going through. Every one of us have our own storms, have our own struggles, have the things that we're dealing with. So my challenge for you today is to flip open the Word of God, the promises of God, and find one that you can cling on to and hold on to for your period and season in your life. The secret, number one, of a winner is to find strength in God's promises. Find strength in God's promises, the promises that cannot be shaken. Next point. Next secret we have. Is to see, I say this to you, is to find strength in boundaries. Find strength in boundaries. When we, when we examine the life of David, I, want to, I, I, I realize that David was actually a master of doing his best. He was a very talented guy. David was not a lazy person. In fact, David, David could play the harp. He was always hardworking. He was always invested in what he does. He, he's someone that you would love. All right? He's a great guy. So David wasn't but... But David knew also this, this one other uh, aspect in life is that he, needs to, he knew when to let God do the rest. You know what I'm saying? He knew when to let go and let God. He knew when to you know, uh, do his best and let God do the rest. And as cliche as all these phrases might sound, David's intentions were always clear. He knew exactly when to leave it to God. David had some kind of a boundary line that he set between himself and God, and he knew when it was exactly God's territory. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 8 to 11 shows us the instance. In fact, it's the second chance that David had to get rid of his mortal enemy, King Saul. Okay? 
David's enemy, King Saul, was literally within killing range. David was urged to kill King Saul, but he drew a line. We read from the passage here, Then Abishai, one of his commanders, said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please, let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him. One shot, one kill. SAF. Next. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed? And be guiltless. And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. The Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. And we know, and we know from last week's sermon that that is exactly what happened to King Saul. David did not have to lift a finger to get rid of his, of his enemy. Okay? And then uh, the last verse, The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David showed grace to his enemy. What a great example of grace. Alright. So David was able... So David was... Okay. Oh, sorry. Ah, shows us an instance where Saul, David's enemy, was literally within cling range. David was urged to kill Saul, but he drew a line. He drew a line and he said that he knew exactly when to hand the battle over to the Lord. My question to you is, would you have done it if you were King David? Would you have done it? Next slide. Would you have done it? Done it? Maybe, maybe not. If you have presented the opportunity to get rid of the problem before your very eyes, would you have done it? Think about it, David was made fugitive for absolutely no reason at all. He knew that he was going to become king of Israel. Okay? And there was his second chance. He had one chance earlier. To fast forward the situation, I mean his ascension to the throne and end his misery of being chased and hunted down. How many of us would have struck Saul down at that moment? How many of us would have taken things into our own hands and got ourselves our own secured victory? How many, how many of us have learned to develop a healthy boundary with God? Do we know when to hand over an outcome, a situation, a fear, a struggle with sin into the hands of Almighty God, who, by the way, has made a promise to help you overcome all things? Do we know when to hand over to God? Of course, I'm not saying this um, and taking this to the extreme and say, like, all right, when you're going to hand things over to God, you're going to just sit down there, relax, pray, and, and God's going to settle everything for me. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to tell people to be lazy, don't study, don't shirk our due diligence and responsibilities and push everything into God's hands. Although there's grace for those who do, okay, amen. God will provide. But what I'm saying is to develop a healthy understanding of when God comes into the picture. That's what I'm saying. Things like getting a promotion at work. We don't, as Christians, we don't have to resort to underhand tactics to put down other people, to backstab people and do weird things just to make ourselves appear better in front of our bosses. In fact, you know, instead, you, what do we do as Christians? You do your very best. You be faithful, you put your heart and soul into the work and you find ways to improve and grow yourself and know that the Lord is with you. And when the Lord is with you, you will find favour in the eyes of the people around you. And even if you don't, the Lord is still with you. All right? Somehow you will find favour in the eyes of your superiors, maybe. And that's what we always pray for, right? And even in the area of education, for those who are still studying, you know, sometimes you put, what you're supposed to do is to put your utmost effort in your revision, be faithful as a student, work hard, work hard. I'm not saying don't, right? And when the exams are over and the results are out, there will be times where it will not be satisfactory, the results. 
Okay, but remember that the Lord's plans for you are to prosper. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, this is a promise that I'm sharing with you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Even if your results might not be what you were thinking of, the Lord still has a good plan for you. I hope you see what I'm trying to say here. I'm telling you to develop healthy boundaries with God. I'm not telling you to be lazy. Neither am I telling you to overstrive. But and, and the thing is, the interesting thing here is that every single one of us have our own different capacities. Right? All, all of us have the ability to do something to a certain amount. So my, my challenge for you is to examine your capacity and develop your own boundaries. Each of us is going to be unique in this area. Develop your own boundaries. Know exactly when it is out of your control. Know exactly when your effort stops because you do anything more, it's really not going to help the situation. Know when to hand over to God. Things like, I don't know, I'm not a parent myself, but parenting. Sometimes you want to control your, your teenager, your child, and, then, and you just want to nag them and nag them and give instructions. But sometimes there's only so much you can do because when you push further, they would withdraw from you. Let the Lord then come in. When do you draw the line and say, Lord, I hand the growth and the maturity of my children unto your hands and I trust that you will lead them in the right way. Children, when we honour our parents, sometimes parents say things to us that you might feel sensitive about but they do not know. Are you going to snap at them, withdraw from them or do you know when to hand over to the Lord and say that, God, I still honour my parents because you have placed them in my life. I pray that if this so-and-so thing that I do not agree with, I pray that, Lord, you will work through them in your own time. Punchline, though, is that setting boundaries, learning to let go, takes humility. It does. You must know when you cannot. It requires you to have humility. Not all things are within our control. And this is something that you need to figure out between you and God. You need to figure out the boundary between you and God. I cannot dictate it for you. So that's the second secret. Find strength in boundaries. And lastly, last secret I'll share with you today is to live from a position of victory. Live from a position of victory. David knew from the very young age of around 15 or so that he was going to become king of Israel. Okay? And so if God, if it's impossible for God to lie in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. We see here that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. I'm taking a little bit out of context here from Hebrews, but I think that the, the principle is still the same. It's saying that God cannot lie. Amen? So if God cannot lie, that means whatever He promised you cannot be broken, cannot be fake. And when you understand this character about God and His Word, then we can start to see ourselves living from a position of victory. Victory over what? Victory over sin, over negative thoughts planted in our minds by the evil one, over disease, over fear, over losing your favour with God, over everything that you're plagued with or struggling with right now. And I cannot begin to, 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 to imagine just what the myriad of things that all of you are going through in your own lives. But I'm saying to you that this is faith. Even when you don't see the victory now, you know that there is a victory because you are promised a victory. And if God cannot lie about your victory, then... What is it left for us to do? To have faith and understand the promise of God. As a Christian, we know the end state of things. I love this. I love it as a believer in God, in Jesus Christ, in the finished work on the cross. We always know the end state of things, although it might not look like it now. 
we know that eventually sin will be defeated. Amen? Right? Christ will come again. Everything will be restored. The believers will be called up to heaven. And we also know that our bodies will be restored. No disease and anything can decay us and we will live in paradise. We know that sin has no dominion over us. We are dead to sin. For those that are struggling with sins and addiction, this is it. Alright? So, no, David lived knowing that he had a king's anointing. Okay? He knew that God was working behind the scenes and God's word never fails. If God says he's going to become a king, he's going to become a king regardless. Alright? In the same way, Jesus also gave us a king's anointing at the cross. He wore a crown of thorns so that those in him will receive a crown of righteousness. That is where the exchange comes when you look at the cross. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. He took on the shame that you might be given the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Henceforth there, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to, to all who have loved His appearing. You have a crown waiting for you. And we are also coerced with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says this. Do I have it? No. No. Yeah, Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says, we are co-heir with Christ. If we understand how David lived from a position of victory, we can also find strength in the many challenges, challenges in life. So how did David do it? Again, his eyes and thoughts were always fixated on the goodness of God and God's character. Regardless of circumstance, David found a way to gaze upon the Lord. David fixed his eyes on the Lord. He knew that victory would come from God. When you fix your mind on Christ and His promises, you start to see things, though, from His perspective and begin to see the victory that He purchased for you when He died at the cross. And as we go back to today's passage in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we can appreciate how big a conclusion this is then. Finally, the anointing of David as Israel's king after 15 long, difficult, trying years, God's promise to him is now within sight. I can only imagine how David felt. Maybe he was thinking, I survived. Maybe he's humbled. I don't know. Picture it. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. All the elders made a covenant with David at Hebron and anointed him as king. And so the story, maybe part one because there's part two, but you know, the story ends with this great verse. And David went on to become great because the Lord God of hosts was with him. Okay? And so there's a past and present tense. He went on to become great, but he actually became great at this point because the Lord God of hosts was with him. You can become great because the Lord God of hosts is with you. Do you believe that for yourself? The Lord God of hosts is with you too because why? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, it says this, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Can you say Jesus is Lord? If you can say that out of your mouth and truly believe it, I want to assure you that this is the Holy Spirit that is in you, that is allowing you to say that. So if you're able to say Jesus is Lord, you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living in you. We have Christ, Lord God of hosts, with us, in us, everywhere we walk, everything that we do, He's living in us. You are able to say this with confidence. For some of us, the idea of victory is often, you know, just an idea. It might not feel like we are close to victory. In fact, it doesn't even look like it at sometimes, okay? 
most of the time. <laughs> but remember how David pulled through out of his, some of his darkest days? What did he do? He fixed his eyes on the Lord, on his promises. He knew that the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. You see, when you place our eyes, our gaze upon our Lord Jesus, and you begin to see that God is willing to fight your battles for you, when you receive the promises of God into your life, things will never be the same again. There will be a peace that cannot be explained and an assurance, a security that is beyond this world. You too will make it through. The Lord God of hosts is with you because His Spirit is living in you. So the three secrets of a winner that I've shared with you today. Number one, find strength in God's promises. Find a promise of the Lord to hold on to, to cling on to. Number two, set boundaries. Healthy boundaries with God. Know when to let go and let God, as cliche as it might sound. And number three, always remember that you live from a position of victory. Always remember that. And I know some of us here, we're probably going through a difficult time. You know, I don't know what struggles you're going through, okay? But know that you have the Spirit of God that is living in you. The Lord God of hosts is with you for the believer, for those who believe, and it's free for all. In a short while, I will ask, or give you an invitation for those who have never received God into your life before. Do you want this God of hosts to be with you? To be with you everywhere that you go, every season. Guys, there are dark days ahead. There are dark days ahead. But I want to say that for the believer, for those that have the Lord God of hosts living in them, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Christ, right? The promises of eternal life for you are yes and amen. Christ will return. He will restore your body. He will give you strength for the day. He gives you hope beyond everything that is falling apart. Okay? Christ's return eventually is our ultimate hope that when Jesus comes again, the righteous will rise and we will see good days ahead. For the believer, you have an anointing with you. The King's anointing. Don't take that lightly. You have the Spirit of God in you. You might not feel like it, you might not look like it, but truths, such truths are never distorted by your feelings. Truths are always truths. Okay? And right now, I just want to ask that all heads, every head bow, every eye closed, whether you're here with us or at home. If you're going through something and you felt discouraged, it's a long battle. David also went through a long battle. In fact, Jesus also went through long suffering. He knows. But I also want to assure you that the promises do not change. Negative experiences does not equate to a negative God. A negative experience does not equate to an absent God. In fact, when you have nothing, God is your everything. For those of you who have never received Jesus into your life, and this sermon has touched you, you want this God into your life, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. When you pray this prayer, you will receive Jesus into your life, the Spirit of God, the Lord God of hosts. And your life, I promise you, will never be the same again. When you receive this Jesus, I, I pray that, you know, you will tell somebody, okay, but if, if this is you, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I'm sorry that I've gone my own way. I've messed up so many things. But I thank you that at the cross, 
All my sins are forgiven. And I receive from you the promise of eternal life, of righteousness. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want my life to never be the same again. I want to have freedom in you. In Jesus' name, I pray. If that is you, may you tell somebody about this, please. Reach out to a Christian. I'm sure they'll walk you through. But right now, for those that are struggling, I also want to pray for you. Any negative experience, remember that you have the promise to cling on to. You have a promise from God. His word, His very words. I want to pray this over you and that you might receive it. Father, I pray for every person over here that's listening or in the, or in the church, Lord, that you will release the Spirit of anointing upon every person, Lord. You know that we have struggles. We have difficult days. We are worried. We are fearful. We are anxious. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you will continue to rise and fill every person here with the confidence that you, O oh God, is with us. Is with us every step, every moment. And that, Lord, when you are with us, we will have the eventual victory. Help us, Lord, to gaze our eyes upon you. As we look upon you, may you fill us with peace, strength for the days ahead. We want to find strength in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. Thank you and all this, I pray. In Jesus' mighty, powerful, and restorative name. In Jesus' name, I pray everybody say, Amen. Praise the Lord. I heard it the second time and I'm still blessed by that word uh, which Shonel has brought uh, from, I believe, the very throne of God. We're going to take up the offering here, uh, make use of the QR codes 